want to ask that you join me in your Bibles in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. As we begin this Advent series together, there's a word that just on a personal level has been nourishing my soul for several weeks now. And it's interesting how when we take the time to make the reading of the scriptures a normal part of our daily lives and a part of our worship unto the Lord, how the Lord meets us through his word. Um, I remember some of my first experiences with that, like with my Bible open and the spirit of God just illuminating the word of God like only he can. And you're just like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. This is awesome. Just in the reading of the word of God, God has met me in the scriptures with something that applies to my life right now. And it's helping me and it's encouraging me. And and it's there's just nothing like it, you know. And the thing that I love about God is that his goodness is inexhaustible. He continues to meet us in those places with a right now word, with words in season, as we are faithful to read his word and engage him in the scriptures. And so several weeks ago, at the beginning of the time that I took off, I was still just reading through Hebrews just on my own, you know. And uh, I try to do it slowly because one of the things that I notice that I'm susceptible to, and I know I'm not the only one, is to be blinded by the familiar. If you've read something many times, there is a tendency to just gloss over the parts that you think you just got down pat. You know, I just got this. I'll just glance over this and it'll be okay. But I love how the Lord sets us up, man, because he's faithful to conform us to the image of his son. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16 in particular, that God just wrecked me and I believe gave me a word that um, really birthed hope in my spirit for my life moving forward. Uh, And I believe is applicable and relevant for us today. Um, If people need anything right now, it's hope. We need to understand biblical hope. We need to get that because it's it's life to us. And it's really important. And so for the sake of context this morning, as we're in Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read verses one through 16. But our focus is going to be verses 13 to 16. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse one, it says, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for the proof of what is not seen for by it, our ancestors won God's approval by faith. We understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible by faith. Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was approved as a righteous man because God approved his gifts. And even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. 
By faith, Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out and even though he did not know where he was going, by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Now watch this. These all died in faith. Although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. They now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared the city for them. This is God's word. This is God's word. One of the things that I love about the Advent season is us remembering that the king is coming. He has come. And he will come again. This is the hope of the church whom he purchased with his own blood. It is the eager expectation of the people of God. It's our joy. Because he is our treasure and our greatest good. I love this season as we remember the incarnation of God, the son. The second person of the Godhead. We remember the miraculous conception of Jesus. The Christian doctrine of the incarnation affirms that the eternal son of God took flesh from his human mother and that the historical Christ is at once both fully God and fully man. Absolutely miraculous. Yeah. One of my most favorite nerdy words, nerdy terms, the hypostatic union. 
That, that within the person of Jesus, he is 100% God and he is 100% human. All in the same being. It asserts an abiding union in the person of Christ of the Godhead and manhood without the integrity or permanence of either being impaired. What that means is that in the incarnation of Christ, he did not become less God. And in the incarnation of Christ, he did not become less human. That's correct. A man by the name of Shaolin once said, 200%. (laughs) 100% God. 100% man, and we remember that in this season. And so, even though we don't begin this until December, this was stirring in my heart all the way back in October because, as I mentioned to you, I'm in Hebrews and I'm reading this text and the Holy Spirit just gripped my heart. You ever you ever just read something in the scriptures and right there where you are without any music playing, without a a church service or anything going on, it just literally moves you to tears that you find yourself with your Bible open in the presence of God, just moved to tears. Because to be honest with you. I think we all know what it's like at different seasons in life. To not know what's going to happen. To not know if something's going to come to an end. To not know what the next day holds. To be at a place where you're like, you know what, God? I've prayed. I've fasted. I've served. I've preached. But now I'm tired. I am deeply discouraged. And I just kind of want to quit. I don't feel like doing this anymore. I don't feel like I have anything left to offer. And what I love about those seasons as uncomfortable and painful and difficult as they may be, is that that's where the grace of God meets us. He meets us in those places. That's why David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they shall comfort me. And he's faithful. And so Advent is about us remembering that even on the darkest day in human history where our first parents blew it on a cosmic level, sinning against God, God preached the gospel to them in the Garden of Eden. He promised a savior. He promised a redeemer. But Jesus did not come right away. He did not send the Savior immediately. It took hundreds and hundreds of years as the redemptive plan of God unfolded. Then in God's timing, the sun showed up. And even then, it wasn't like people expected it to be. But the thing that we have to remember in this season is that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he ever has to repent. He is faithful to do what he said he would do. God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. 
That's one of the reasons that reading the scriptures is so important, because in the scriptures we become familiar with, we learn the covenant promises of God. And it's trusting in the unchanging nature and character of God. It's not looking at the circumstances. It's it's not trusting in our strength or our health or our money or our careers or our intellect. It's trusting in the abiding, eternal, unchanging nature and character of our God. He is faithful and he never fails. He never fails. This passage of scripture helps us in this season to have an eternal perspective. Because sometimes it is so easy to get caught up in the temporary. And we need to be careful that we're not building our lives on sand. That will cause us to be wrecked after the storms of life come. See, Jesus said, those who hear what I say and do it, they're wise because they're building on a rock. And they're going to face storms. They're going to face the wind. They're going to face the rain. They're going to face the torrents. But because they are building their lives on obedience to the word of God, when it's all said and done, they will be found standing. It says, but those who hear what I say and don't do it, They're like people who build on sand and the same storms are going to come to those people. But instead of standing, they will be destroyed. Say, Pastor, why are you mentioning this? Because we can't talk about faith if we don't talk about obedience. Where there is genuine faith. You want to know how we know there's genuine faith and what we see from the lives of these people that we just read in this text? How do we know these people had faith? Because there was corresponding action. That's how we know where living faith is present. We know that living faith is present where there is obedience to the will of God. My pastor used to always say, he used to define the fear of the Lord like this. Obeying God regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the consequences, regardless of the cost. That is the fear of the Lord. Obeying God regardless of what it cost us, regardless of what's going on in our lives at the time, and regardless of the consequences that our obedience may bring. We live to obey God. And where there is genuine faith, there will be obedience. Faith and obedience are married to one another. And they cannot be separated. But we dig a little deeper and the scriptures give us and insight into the mindsets and the hearts of these people. It says that they, they died in faith. Now, here's what's interesting. God told Abraham, get away from your family. Go to a land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But he never saw the fulfillment of it. Mm-hmm. He never saw the fulfillment of the thing that God promised him. Isaac never saw the fulfillment of the thing that God promised him. Jacob never saw the fulfillment of the thing that God promised him. Sarah never saw it. Moses never saw it. Joseph never saw it. Abel never saw it. Noah never saw it. They died in faith. 
which means that the thing that propelled them through life, that anchored their souls, was hope. Hope is a powerful thing. Because hope is when we believe in the promises of God to such a degree, it's believing that God is not a man that he should lie, that he is perfect, that he will do what he said he would do. So much so that as we are waiting for God to do what he said he will do in the future, it frames and shapes our lives and how we live in the here and now. Genuine biblical hope produces what one of my mentors used to call self-adjusting behavior. That's how you know hope is present. Let me give you a very simple example of what self-adjusting behavior is. When I was a little boy, at a certain age, you'd almost have to pay me to take a bath. All right? I mean, I remember one time, me and a cousin of mine, we were more like brothers at the time in life, man. Like, we had almost like this going competition to see who could go the longest without taking a bath. You know, until we got caught, you know. I mean, it was so bad to where you get told to take a bath and you go in the bathroom and run some water and then just move your hand around like in the water to make it seem like you were bathing and then just jump right back out, you know. I mean, that is just like typical little boy fashion, you know. But then as I got older and certain things began to be awakened in my being, And then you discover, hold up for a second. I don't want to throw rocks at her anymore. You know, I think I want to ask her for her number. Right. And so all of a sudden. You get older and you hear, hey, there's going to be a party or we're going to the mall. And so and so she's going to be there. And so all of a sudden, nobody had to tell me to take a bath anymore. (laughs) Nobody had to tell me to brush my teeth. We get haircuts, we would get sharp, we would wear clean clothes. See, because hope produces self-adjusting behavior. When you believe that certain somebody is gonna be there, you don't get there, to, you don't get there like in a in a in a in a state of uncertainty. You show up ready. You wear your best outfit, you have your hair done, you come there sharp, like you're ready to go. Anybody like remember what I'm talking about with that? Like you hear so-and-so is gonna be there, and it's like, oh, I gotta make sure I'm looking right. Hope produces self-adjusting behavior. See, when we have hope in the promises of God, when we believe that something is going to be there down the road for us, hope is believing that what God has promised me down the road is going to be there when I get to it. And see, because I believe that what God has promised me is going to be there when I get to it, I'm going to prepare now so that I'm ready. We see those who are moms do it all the time. I mean, our youngest son, man, Deuce, had a room all painted and decorated and fully furnished before he ever even made his entrance into the world. Hope produces self-adjusting behavior. We made preparations. We had the room painted. Carolyn had the room painted. She had the little borders up, the little footballs and soccer balls and all this stuff. He had his little football bookends. He didn't even have any books yet. I mean, all of this stuff just set in the room, a tub and and a feeding chair and a crib, all this stuff just there set before homeboy ever even made his entrance into the world. See, hope produces self adjusting behavior. That's what it did for Noah. 
Noah didn't wait for the rain to start before he started building an ark. There was no water. There was no precipitation. There was no rain. And yet this dude was out here looking crazy building an ark. Why? Because he believed that the God who promised, he believed that the God who spoke is a God who does what he says. And so he didn't wait to see it physically. He knew that it was already a done deal. And that's what we need to know about the promises of God. That when God speaks, it's a done deal. And when we read the scriptures and we engage the promises of God, it stirs up hope in our hearts to remember that the Lord who promised is faithful. You know what this, the text said about Sarah? The text says about Sarah that she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Saints, we need to ask ourselves a question this morning. Do we consider the one who has promised as faithful? Do we consider him faithful? Do we consider him so faithful that we would risk looking like complete fools in the here and now while we prepare and make all of the necessary adjustments for that which God is going to do in the days ahead. It's trusting him. And that's what we need in this day. In days of uncertainty, in days of turmoil, in days of conflict, we need kingdom hope in the one true living God. We need that. Now watch this. We need to be careful when we talk about the promises of God because we can easily get into this vein where we only concern ourselves with physical things. Well, you know, I'm hoping in the promises of God because I need a new car. I'm hoping in the promises of God because that's a new house. And I'm not saying that any of those things may be against the will of God, but I'm telling you there are greater things for us to hope in, for us to have an eternal perspective. See, because the thing that sustains us in the here and now are not the things that we can put our hands on. It's not a car. It's not a house. It's not money. It's not a degree. My Bible tells me that we look to those things that are unseen. That is what anchors us. We endure while we look at the things that are unseen because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Having an eternal perspective for us is important. Sometimes I catch myself, I'll be sitting down and I'll be looking at something nice or just enjoying something. And I just have to remember, like, one day this is just going to fall apart. <laughs> you know, like I like my little gadgets. I like my little stuff, man. But I realize, like, you know, as much as I like this right now, it's not going to last. It's going to be on a trash heap at some point in the future. It's going to fall apart. It's going to decay. It's going to come to an end. But not so with the promises of God. Now watch this. It says in verse 13 that. They all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. This is the one true living God bringing people into covenant relationship with himself, making promises. This is God saying, I will do this. The reason why it's important for us not to get this twisted is because there are greater things. God meets our material needs. God cares about our physical needs, but there are greater things. There are greater things. 
These were people who were hearing all of these great things like Abraham is hearing that he's going to be the father of many nations, that 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 his descendants are going to be like like the sand, the grains of sand by the seashore, these great promises. And, and maybe he doesn't know everything that that entails. Sarah is hearing this about her son and, and, and what he's going to be and, and Isaac and Jacob and all of these different people of faith throughout the ages. David hearing the promises of God about a descendant that would sit on the throne about his kingdom would just be forever and and it would have no end. They didn't see the fulfillment of those things, but watch this. These people died believing God. You want to know what's interesting about this? Is that from a fleshly perspective, someone would look at them and say they missed it. What a waste. Look at them. They died and they didn't even get the thing. They didn't even get to see what God promised. What fools. How gullible can you be? No. No, not at all. There's no gullibility here. There's no foolishness here, only genuine wisdom. Because the moment these people closed their eyes and their spirits left their bodies, their souls left their bodies, they were in the presence of the living God, able to see like they had never seen before. And at that moment, they received the reward of their faith. And that is to be in the presence of God, living and abiding with him forever. See, we have to risk being called foolish by this world if we really walk this thing out the way we're supposed to, following Jesus. Their lives were not wasted. Peter tells us that they understood that they weren't living for themselves, but for those who would come after them. How about that for a life well lived? To not live it for our benefit alone, but to live our lives for the benefit of others. These people, they saw the promises of God. Look at what verse 13 says. They saw them from a distance. They saw the promises, right? And it says they greeted them. They greeted the promises of God. What does this mean? You know, did that mean to just say, hey, hello, promises of God? Is that what they mean by greeted the promises of God? No. When we see here in the text that these people greeted the promises of God, what it means at a very basic level is that they embraced the promises of God in their souls. They embraced the promises of God in their hearts. This was not a small thing. Their lives were literally built on what God had promised They weren't trying to do their own thing. They weren't trying to make their own way for salvation. Their lives were built on the promises of God. What are we building on in our day? Mm -hmm. They embraced the promises of God and look at what they did. So they embraced the promises of God in their souls. And look at the confession that it led to. They confessed that they were foreigners and temporary temporary residents on the earth. Huh. You know, what's interesting about this is that this is the same way that Peter in his epistle taught those believers 
and teaches us how to see ourselves in this world. That embracing the promises of God, they confess that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Here's what it means at a very basic level. They realize that these great and precious promises that God had made to them goes back to one of my favorite songs where one of the lines from the song says this, I've been given a taste of something that nothing in this world can satisfy. In God, I've been given a taste of something that nothing in this world can ever satisfy. These great and precious covenant promises from God. And it helped them to realize this is not my home. I'm just passing through here. We're not meant to set up shop here. We are meant to live faithfully and be about the business of king of the kingdom and to do those good works that God prepared beforehand for us to do. But this is not permanent. This is not permanent. This is temporary. And we need to be careful to remember that, saints, in our day and for our generation. We are, we are sojourners in this land. We are foreigners. We are temporary residents. We are exiles. And the, the, the desire and the longing in our hearts comes in verse 14. And this is the verse that just wrecked me while I sat in my living room. It says now that those who say such things, those who make such a confession, those who embrace the promises of God in their hearts, confessing that they are foreigners and temporary residents, they say, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. You know what that means? They're seeking shalom. They're seeking eternal rest. And it, this, this passage, man, I'm going to be honest with you. It just broke me because I realized like, God, I don't feel at home. I am restless in my soul. And I share this because I know that the people under my voice, I know that you in this room, I know that you can relate to this. No matter how, no matter the homes we buy or the jobs we have or the relationships we have, no matter how good they are and stable they are, there is still this longing in our souls. We know that something is missing. This is not our home. And I, and I sit there thinking, God, this is what I desire. I long to be home. And I realize that it doesn't make me special. It, I join along with the rest of my sisters and brothers in the faith. We long for that eternal rest. And I'm not talking about death. I'm talking about living in the presence of God in a creation that is renewed and restored where everything is just, where Christ rules with the scepter of justice and righteousness and everything is as it should be. We long for this. This is not our home. We are meant to participate and be a part and do the good that God has called us to do. But we need to be very careful that we're not trying to build something permanent in a place that God has designed to be temporary. And that's what they did in places like the Tower of Babel. God says, go in this place. No, 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 no. We're going to build something permanent right here. We're going to build something permanent right here. 
God said, I didn't call you to build something permanent right here. This is not our home. We are meant to serve and love and be used for the glory of God and to live with the agenda of the kingdom of God as our first priority. But we need to remember this is not our home. And Christians, we get in such grave trouble and we fall in many, many traps in various ways within our own souls, within the context of our own personal behavior, within the context of things that we join and movements and whatever they might be. When we try to create something permanent in places that God designed to be temporary. Mm -hmm. We try to create these utopias. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't labor fervently by the grace of God to do good in this world. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is as we do that, we recognize that these little bitty moments of victory, they are not the ultimate victory that only Christ himself will bring that. And I don't know about you, but that's what my heart longs for. And I've had to make peace with the fact that I am going to continue to feel out of place until my Savior returns. Then I'll be home. Then I'll be home. And the thing about that, man, is that when we feel out of place, sometimes in order to try to find that place that feels like home, we we deny certain parts of ourselves. We we pretend like certain parts of ourselves don't exist. We become a part of things that we really shouldn't be a part of and and all of this stuff because we're searching for it. And God's like, you're not going to find it there. You're going to find it there. Verse 15 says if they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. Right. So they weren't thinking about where they came from. Let me tell you something, saints. Nostalgia. Can be a destructive, intoxicating thing. Constantly, we have entire movements set on. Let's just bring it back to the good old days. People like I'm like, God's like, why are y'all looking back? I've called you to look forward. You keep trying to look back to seasons and points in life like those were the good old days and everything was right. God's like, no, I've called you to look forward where I make all things new. Nostalgia is not a bad thing in and of itself, but it can become something that takes us away from and causes us to ignore the covenant promises of God that lay ahead. And nostalgia can rob us of our hope. People do it all the time. All of us are subject to it. We find ourselves daydreaming about the way it used to be. Let's just go back to the way it used to be. These days are so bad. Let's just go back to the way it used to be. First of all, that's a mirage. It's not real. It's not real. Because days that people look back and they call their golden era were hell on earth for others. (laughs) So it's just not real. It's just not real. So when these people said that they were looking for a homeland, they weren't talking about where they had come from back in the day. It says they, in verse 16, they desire a better place. A heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's point. When I read this, I was reminded about the words of Christ recorded in John's gospel. What did Jesus say? 
Jesus said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions, there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. How often do we remember that? How often do we, are we building our lives on that? Are we building our lives on that? The fact that our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer said he promised that he would prepare a place for us so that where he is, we may be also. Saints, what we have to look forward to is not simply a better era in human history. What we have to look forward to in the restoration of all things is not a better time or a better experience. Not just simply health. It's Christ himself. Christ himself. As one author so eloquently put in the title of his book, God is the gospel. God is the gospel. It's not simply that we get forgiveness. It's not simply that we receive the gift of righteousness. You see the beauty of this whole thing? The thing that makes his grace so scandalous is that we get him. He is the prize. He's offered himself to us in salvation. And it's not just a better human existence waiting for us at the finish line. It's Christ himself. Peter said, you've not seen him yet. But you still believe. And I'm going to tell you something, saints. One day we will see Christ face to face. We will gaze into the eyes of the God-man himself. We will look upon the one who was suspended between heaven and earth, executed on a cross to bring about our redemption. We will see him. We will hear his voice physically speaking with our own glorified ears. Jesus, God himself, is the prize. And that's what anchors us in the here and now. That's why we can't get weighed down by certain things. That's why we cannot seek to build permanent things. We cannot seek permanency itself because all of this is just temporary. There is something glorious beyond our wildest dreams that await us, that awaits us again. And we've not seen it, but God has promised it. And so we are being encouraged as the first audience that the book of Hebrews was being written to. Basically, hold on. (laughs) 
Don't let go. Don't stop believing. Don't stop praying. Don't stop obeying. Hold on. Hold on. Because he who promised is faithful. I want to close with this first question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. Um, it was written written a few years ago, back in the 1500s. <laughs> first question in the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, it asks this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only comfort in life and in death? And here's the answer. That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yes, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready to live unto him. That in life and in death, body and soul, we are his. We are his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gathering of the saints. We thank you for this day, Father. We thank you for this season where we remember your great and precious covenant promises. Thank you for the gift of the scriptures that you've given us, Lord, because contained within the scriptures, we see those, Lord God, as recipients of the gift of faith from you working in their hearts. We see them, Lord God, and the fruit of their faith and how they lived. And though they were inadequate and weak and flawed, you, Father, are absolutely sufficient, faithful and perfect in holiness and righteousness. Father God, in this season, we pray that by the power of your spirit, the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the grave, we pray, God of heaven and earth, that you would cause hope to be birthed in our souls. Lord, that we would have an eternal hope, a blessed hope, a living hope in you. 
Father, help us, Lord, to construct our lives on your covenant promises and on your covenant promises alone. And we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to remove those things that are counterfeit. You are faithful, Lord God, to continue to work in our hearts, setting us free from our idolatry and our wondering. God of heaven and earth, with the hope that you caused to be birthed in our souls, may we be strengthened today. May we be encouraged as your people today. May we walk with our heads lifted high because you are the lifter of our heads, O oh God. Help us as your people to look to you, God, that every bit of wisdom, strength, grace, mercy, and insight that we need, Father, help us to be people that look to you. You alone are God. Lord, we need you. Our nation needs you. The nations need you. The people need you, oh God. Oh, Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have your way, God. Have your way, Father, within us. Father, I pray that according to your word, that even in the darkest of times, even in the midst of gross darkness, that you would cause your glorious light to shine on and through your people, the church. So that in all things, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.